Welcome to the Boys in the Iceberg, the podcast where we recap Avatar The Last Airbender episode by episode for fans new and old. I'm your host, John Listman, immigration attorney by day, stand-up comic by night, airbender at heart, and I'm joined as always by my co-host. I'm Jeff Miller, TV writer, avid mind wanderer, and aspiring waterbender. I was going to say, this episode is, is, is another one with a lot of origin stories, yeah, and they're really mm. compact, and they're really, you know, how could you not love Tylee when you meet her? She's so fun exactly, and yeah. bubbly, yeah. and like, it's just really, really well, you know, we find out yeah. they went to this Royal Fire Academy, so apparently there are private schools in the Fire yeah. Nation, like all this mythology just subtly layered in. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, so, private school, daughter of a nobleman. And mm-hmm. uh, some sort of history with Zuko because uh, he is intentionally left out. Uh, so, right, dude, a significant amount of history for like a thirty-second scene. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and it's it's something. It's a beautiful thing because you see Tylee have absolutely no malice in her heart, mm-hmm. even though she probably knows what kind of a person Azula is, oh, yeah. um, because we learn later on that she's basically always been the kind of very cold, exacting, unempathetic person that she is. She pretty much has always been. And yet she always greets Azula with the same sort of perky happiness, just happy to have her there. And when you first see like um, them meet and then she uh, is doing her act in the circus and then Azula in a strategic way to try to get Ty Lee on her team because she, I think it's mainly because she needs Ty Lee's skills that she Mm -hmm. lights the the safety net on fire. above which Tylee's doing acrobatics. And then afterwards she says, you know, I think the universe is telling me I should probably <laughs> go with yeah. you instead. And I, when I saw that, I, I started thinking of someone in like a, a hostage situation, just putting on a brave face. Mm. But I honestly don't know what that is because she's not in a hostage situation right when she meets Azula. She doesn't respond with stress or anxiety. She responds with open arms. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really know what's going on in her mind right when, when we meet her. I really don't know. See, I think she's living her dream. She ran off to join the circus. Uh, you know, to quote Ty Lee, her aura has never been pinker. Okay, mm. she's living her best <laughs> life. Uh, so oddly sexual. I, yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and we're joined by a special guest host today, Lucas Arnold. How are you, Lucas? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Terrific. Excited to have you on. Uh, Very excited to be here. Ready to return to Omashu, despite the uh, many dark things that await us there. So in this Mm -hmm. episode, uh, the gang arrives at Omashu only to realize it's been captured by the Fire Nation. Aang and his friends manage to sneak into the city, helped by Sokka faking a deadly illness called Pentapox. They encounter the local resistance and assist the city's Earth Kingdom residents to escape with a false epidemic. However, the Fire Nation governor's son accidentally leaves with the citizens as they are driven out. Aang attempts to trade him for King Bumi, but Princess Azula appears with a newly recruited team and halts the deal. After a confrontation with Azula, Aang manages to rescue Bumi but the city's former ruler allows himself to be recaptured, stating that he must wait for a more appropriate time to escape. He instructs Aang to find an earthbending teacher who waits and listens. Okay, guys. Uh, I I don't know if that overview does it justice. I I feel like this was a great episode, so. Oh yeah, there's uh, so much more. 
There's yeah. a lot to dig into. So let's 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 begin the dig. Uh, mm-hmm. In this one, Aang insists on entering the captured city in search of Boomy. After entering through the sewers, Team Avatar emerge into the street. There, Sokka finds purple pentapi. Ooh, that's a nice plural. Uh, mm-hmm. Attached to his face, and when they're removed, prominent red marks are left behind on his skin. Fire Nation soldiers approach them, accusing them of breaking curfew. Notice the blotches. The guards inquire as to how Sokka received them, and Katara invents a cover story, telling them that they are a result of a highly contagious and deadly disease called pentapox. Believing the story, they flee. Um, so a nice little uh, fun gang moment here before the uh, episode yeah. really starts up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sokka gets some great improv, and... Um... Before that, it's all, it's not really in the description, but going through those sewers, it's it's pretty great little bit of Aang and Katara both able to water bend the sewage water, mm. and Sokka's just getting nailed with all of it in the back. Yeah, he it's one of the, you got yeah. Well, something I wanted to talk about. I'm not sure if I should bring it up because it's something that happens later in the episode, maybe. Mm. But the moment where Ty Lee enters and does her special skill, we can save that for later on if you want. But it's something. Yeah. All right, we'll save it for later on. Um, but it's something I wrote down, so it'll be good. Fair, um, fair enough. But yeah, just uh, you see Sock, you know, what, uh, you got Aang who can airbend the sewage, Katara who can waterbend, and uh, Sokka who comes out looking like a, like, like a creature, some mud creature Something. from the, uh, yeah. some crap creature from the sewage depths. Um, it's also like he, when, you, when you see um, Aang and Katara bending to get the sewage out of their way, and then you see Sara go, yeah, it's like, dude, close your <laughs> yeah. mouth. Yeah, it's true. It yeah, close. yeah. It's, Breathe through uh, your nose. This is hundred uh, percent. Yeah. It's also we got to realize um, just Ang's shock at seeing Omashu under fire rule. He thought of it as untouchable, as another bossing say, if you will. Uh, I was we, gonna say it's uh, like a sort of forgive me, uh, like another example, like the Southern Air Temple, feeling mm, yes, sort of feeling like it's sort of untouchable because it's so high up and. Omashu, like you see it as this city that it's there's like only one bridge that goes to it and it's otherwise like in this sort of bowl that it just sits out like a beautiful little cherry you know like it seems so untouchable it seems so impregnable and yet it's very i think it's another it's just a traumatizing thing because that's a place where he loved to go to as a kid and very much like he enjoyed home in the southern air temple I think yeah. it's a, I think it's a, not as intense, but it's, it, it's a little bit, I think a little bit like, you know, you li- live in a neighborhood for a long time and you see like new places dot yeah. up in places that you really mm-hmm. loved, like not open anymore. And, and it's like this wonderful nostalgic feeling that you're losing. It's true. Absolutely. I don't think it's a coincidence that episode three of book one was the Southern Air Temple and episode three mm. of book two Ooh. is Omashu and both of those themes, you're right, are dead on the nose. Whereas uh, if we go back to season, book one, episode three, we see the destruction of the Fire Nation where, where we're you know, made to realize just how horrible they are. But now we see the, the active presence and then the, maybe Development what life even. is like under Fire Nation rule. It's like another... Uh, elements of their thing you know yeah. they're, they're out there mm. policing a curfew so uh they, they, there is this sense that uh 
our freedoms are being impinged to say the least <laughs> and the other, freedoms, yeah yeah and, and and my last thing on this the, the other elephant in the room again in both of these episodes of this episode and the and the third episode of book one is um Aang has a very, very, very close relationship with somebody who kind of represents that city for him or that area for him from his childhood mm -hmm. that suddenly 100%. he's worried about. And here it's, you know, one of the things I think that, that makes the city so seemingly untouchable, you know, unlike the Southern Air Temple, it's not like you have to be able to fly to get there, but it is structurally made to withstand a lot of attacks, but then it's got boomy. And you think mm -hmm. like, we've seen Boomy, he's jacked. He is, mm -hmm. he is really, really good at, at, at ruling and outsmarting people. And for the city to be overtaken means something must have happened with him. And, you know, you see Aang, they didn't even want to go. And Aang's like, no, Boomy's in there. I don't care if it's about learning earthbending. I'm going to get my friend. Yeah. He needs a friend more than a <laughs> Again, it's this... Uh... The childhood trauma he's trying to resolve. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, elsewhere on her ship, Princess Azula receives advice from Lo and Lee. Uh, when, when tracking your brother and uncle, traveling with the royal procession may, not, may no longer be an option. It may no longer be wise if you hope to keep the element of surprise. She takes her, their advice and decides to put together a small elite team to track them. Uh, Nice scene, pretty uh, self-explanatory. <laughs> we're, we're already seeing again the differences between her and her brother though. You know, mm. her brother really, even though he was banished, he was, he was kind of clinging on to the, uh, to the vestiges of his, you know, glory as the Prince of the Fire Nation. And nice. Azula and her advisors are more like, no, 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 no. You need to get away from all this stuff. This is just baggage. You need to like strip clean and get in there and just be like sneaky. And uh, well, it, she's like, yeah. It, go it goes to show like what their priorities are, like yeah. and how starkly different, because like Zuko for pretty much all of season one, and still I think like his goal is to capture the avatar. He needs to reclaim his honor. He feels so ashamed of, honor, of, um, of speaking up to his dad and getting punished and so on. And so that is at the core of who he is, is the shame that he's trying to uh, resolve. Whereas Azula, I think, is someone who is incapable of shame. At least it seems that way thus far, even though she's fairly new at this point. And so just everything is just geared towards strategy. Everything about her is how to strategically win as best as possible um, with, with little or no regard for anyone else except herself. Yeah, her, you're right. She's completely... Her gears are always turning and she's just looking towards the goal. And yeah. uh, okay, so I realize uh, she's all about strategy, but it wasn't her idea to go individually. How, how mm. do you think this, uh, like it seems inevitable that this trio would form and that she'd uh, be traveling without a whole procession, but uh, interesting that they, they, they chose to move along the story that way, that it was an outside voice. I, I wonder what her path would have been like otherwise. It's like she needs her own Uncle Iroh in some Hmm. Well, the thing is, she does, she does idolize her father, and she does very much respect him, and she has an almost obsessional love for him, because like she later on says that she wants to rename Omash to his new Ozai, and mm -hmm. I think that although she definitely thinks herself as very superior to practically everyone around her, if it, if it feeds into her goals, she will take the wisdom of someone 
who can help her achieve what she wants. Mm. So she does have a few roads into her, into her psyche that she allows uh, for positive inf uh, influence. Definitely. Nice. Yeah. Low and least. Again, all this. strategy. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, they, they serve this connection, um, almost spiritual connection for her a lot, uh, the same way Ira does for Zuko. And, you know, this is looking way down the road, but you see as soon as her relationship with Lo and Lee has any sort of a falter, it kind of creates a, a rift within Azula. Mm. So they kind of represent her, you know, ability to think more clearly and not just be trying to destroy and, and eliminate everything in her path. Mm -hmm. Right on. Um, back in the city, Aang, Katara, and Sokka decide that wherever Bumi is being held prisoner must be made entirely of metal, a step the firebenders ostensibly took to prevent him from earthbending. Just below them, the wife of the governor and their daughter, May, are enjoying an, er an evening stroll. May complains about how boring it is in Omashu, completely unaware that the two earthbenders from the resistance have sent large boulders from above. Aang sees the rocks below and airbends them out of the way. However, the governor's wife misunderstands the situation and assumes Aang and his friends to be members of the resistance. May and the guards immediately give chase, starting a pursuit in which May demonstrates a natural talent for throwing knives. As May comes close to catching them, the ground opens up underneath Team Avatar, and they fall into the hole as it closes over them. While May abandons the chase, the team discovers that they have been saved by the resistance. Uh, so we meet May. She's a she's a cheery young lady, is she not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Butterscotch and flowers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, sugar and spice. Okay. We no yeah. May is bleak AF. We we all know this uh, very yeah. very quickly on. I like cool. that. Uh, we get to meet the governor. Like, like, we get a sense of really just, it is an imperial colonial power that is yeah. uh, taking over. So uh, we, it's just another layer of seeing life under fire rule in the Earth Kingdom. It's, it's amazing how much more detailed these aspects of the city are in this revisit. You know, we, we, a lot of people have talked about that first episode and how, you know, even though I thought it was really cool animation, it really is a it's kind of a changing up the guard in terms of that's a little bit more lower quality and then it gets better as the series progresses. And here you see their revisit to the city and yeah, you get to see the infrastructure, you get to see the residents, you get to see it kind of under a different regime, but seeing all these different levels of the city is so much, I think, more interesting. Yeah. You also get, it's a wonderful thing because like they develop the uh, May's family just enough so you have a little bit of empathy for it mm -hmm. but it also reminds me it reminds me a little bit of sort of like clueless tourists who are taken onto a resort mm. yeah. and they don't realize sort of like what life is like around the resort or they just think that it's just very pretty and they're just having mm -hmm. a good time yeah. but you sort I think you can sort of identify with someone who's just a little bit ignorant mm -hmm. but good-natured because yeah. that that is I think that's perfect for describing Maze Fan. It's like good-natured but ignorant about like what they've caused. Yes. Like, uh, I, I can picture May on a resort like, Mom, I yeah. want my phone. Stop making yeah. me play in the pool. Or, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she's like, play with your brother. It's so sunny mm. and nice. And she's like, ugh, again. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. The, more on the brother later, but I, I just want to note <laughs> that this is May's brother. 
that uh, yes, is the I young know. baby in the royal family. Mm-hmm. More, more on that uh, later. Uh, May clearly nice intro, and we see her strength with uh, the knives. That was a great. Uh, That's a really great cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's another good job of bringing in a very talented, interesting character who's not a bender in this otherwise world of mm. benders. Yeah. Um, and just seeing how different abilities can, you know, aid non-benders in this fight when they have to duel with benders. It also is something I think is, it makes me laugh that she was armed. Yeah. Mm. Just, just for yeah. an evening stroll, she was like, I hope someone tries to attack me. Just <laughs> anything. I'm begging you, someone. <laughs> Yeah, she I, definitely seems like the kind of person who would be more excited if a bodyguard forgot to show up, so that she gets to take over the role. Um, yeah, and this will be much more apparent later in the episode. But I would love a little like comedy, you know, like between scenes sketch of just May going all over the city, picking up her knives that she's throwing all over the place because <laughs> she seems to have an endless supply of them. Yeah. They're not boomerangs, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's like arrows when you're playing a video game. You just always have yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. 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 Uh meanwhile, Azula has tracked down the first member of her team, Tai Lee, the daughter of a nobleman. The two went to the Royal Fire Academy for girls together. But since then, she has apparently joined the circus, which is where Azula finds her. Azula informs her that she wants her to help in tracking down her fuddy duddy uncle purposefully neglecting to mention Zuko. Tai Lee declines her offer, saying she's happy with her life at the circus. Azula seemingly accepts her decision, but goes on to inform her that she's staying to watch her show, instilling an amount of nervousness in Tai Lee. Uh, great, meet, great way to meet Tai Lee as well. Uh, you get the bleak from May and the perky from Tai Lee. Deep. Which is really, you know, like we, we, we meet these characters for a moment and we already, like you were saying before, Lucas, about, you know, just the dialogue of May's family and just the vibe you get. You don't know them for very long, but you somehow have a bit of empathy for them. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, these, this is the enemy. And yet we're like kind of interested in what's going on. The same with, this is a potential ally for Azula and yet... <gasps> All right, uh, to Lucas's point that uh, it felt like she was being kidnapped, I, I think she knows, like, uh, she's going to end up being on Azula's team. And, like, if she does it just because Azula said, told her to do it, that Azula is going to give her sass. You know what I mean? Like, Azula mm. wants her to be a member of the team and to want to be a member. So, uh, mm. kind of uh, Ty Lee choosing the path of least resistance there is my uh, second thought. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's very much that Mean Girls vibe where. Mm you know that you need to be on her team and in her clique because she's inevitably going to end up being like on the winning side or the dominant side. And you know that if you go against that, it's just really bad for you. And it mm-hmm. does feel like she went to the circus to kind of escape her. You know, it's very much a abuser victim relationship and she, yeah, her, her aura has never been better. And you can almost see it in her face when, when Azula comes and it makes that announcement, like that kind of split second of just complete depression mm-hmm. that flashes on her face, like, oh no. Um, she knows that she needs to do what she needs to do to keep Azula at bay almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. What a, 
Okay, and we get all that. Not only do we get the backstory, but the whole interrelationship is really uh, mm-hmm. totally marvelously layered in there. Uh, elsewhere, Aang is told by angry resistance members that before the fighting even began, King Boomy surrendered the city. Aang decides the best thing to do is get everyone out of the city so they can live to fight another day. Against the leader's protest, the resistance agrees. Sokka, upon realizing they need a way to get out of the city, comes up with the idea to use Pentapi to give them the make-believe Pentapox. After the citizens are each recreate the spots on their faces, Aang goes in search of Boomy while the guards are distracted. Um, so Boomy surrendered. Uh, wait, mm-hmm. no, we, we, we find out why, but uh, it's an interesting approach, no, 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 no matter the reasoning and, and that we'll later discover. Yeah. There was something I wanted to talk about with what with Boomy's decision and just the resistance's bewilderment as to why he mm-hmm. did it is that I think it goes to show it reminds me of how um, separate celebrities are from people and how you sort of put them on this pedestal. But here's an example. So um, this is back from my own life. I have a friend who um, uh, he showed me this video that Chris Pratt made. He just like, he came out of seeing A Quiet Place. He thought it was an amazing movie and he made a quick video that he posted on social media. And he was like, oh my God, this is, this is such a good movie. Everyone needs to see it. My mind is blown, blah, blah, blah. It was very sweet, very funny. And he's just saying, go see this movie. I liked it. And my roommate said, oh, this is probably just, um, uh, this is totally just a, a marketing ploy from Hollywood. He didn't mm-hmm. actually see it. He didn't actually enjoy it. And I thought, I don't know, it seemed pretty genuine. And so I think, that when you have this separation, you sort of lose an element of humanity. And I think that although Boomy is like famously like very crazy and weird and maybe a little bit unstable, I think it goes to show how people can draw their own conclusions so easily from just a fraction of the information. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's not like he was very willing to share the other fraction. That is true. Right. Uh, That is true. I mean, but... uh, Right. I mean, so, so, no, like, like, let's say this is your good strategy, Boomy. I, I, I mean, just, you are still the king of the city. Whether they're your subjects or not, you're somewhat responsible for the lives and well being of yeah. this uh, city's people. So, uh, he didn't really have a plan. Like, I mean, he has the greater plan, but no plan as to maintain the health and safety of the community here. It's a, it's a great tool in his arsenal is the facade he puts up of a crazy, frail old man. And we saw that when, he, when we first meet him uh, and he seems just, he's like very hunched over and you literally see his back extend and straighten and strengthen in stature. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was, and that was like a great element of surprise that really had Aang on his toes. And so that is, that's an important tool in your arsenal that you don't want to, to let go and that's why i think he is so dangerous especially to the fire nation is that they have him locked up they recognize they know that he's an earthbender but when we later see him he's like laughing he seems crazy and so it's i would like it if he was if he told his subjects what was going on or what he had planned but i think that in a pinch he's doing he's following his instincts which is keep up the facade to these people who don't really know you so that you can get the sneak on them eventually. Yes. 
he, yeah, I mean, he does think, you know, 10, 20 steps ahead as, as insane as he is. And he realized, you know, if we, if we resist head on, the people of my kingdom are going to fight. And even if we win, many of them will likely die. And instead, you know, yes, you're right, though. He should have told someone, but I guess he was worried that there would be dissension and then an uprising and then citizens would get involved and then more people would die. So maybe by keeping it secret, he kept mm. everyone protected because he knows down the road there's going to be a much smarter way to do it. Um, but it's, it's the Clark Kent dilemma, you know, having to walk around the newsroom and stumbling over things and, and acting, you know, just, just being a total doofus all the time because mm. the more people think that you're non-threatening and harmless, the less likely they are to realize that you're Superman despite looking just like the yeah. guy except with glasses on. Yeah. I mean, Boomy, you know, it, it's not like he's got you know, like old man skin and stuff all over the place. He's like, he, even when he's hunched over, his shoulder blades are like jacked. So he makes it look like he's almost got a hunchback. Yeah. There's some spinal column on Boomy. I, I, <laughs> when I yeah. can argue with that posture. Um, back at the governor's palace, the governor himself, as well as his family, watch as the sick people roam the streets. He orders the guards to drive them out of the city to prevent it from spreading. In the heat of the moment, they all completely lose track of the governor's infant son, who wanders off. Aang, meanwhile, has come across Flopsy in his search. Thrilled to see him, Flopsy rushes forward, but is held back by a chain. Aang frees him, and the two go off in search of Boomy. Hungry, Momo finds some berries inside a room where the young infant has wandered off. Intrigued by Momo's tail, the infant quickly grabs it, spooking Momo. Momo inadvertently half flies, half drags the infant across the city until the boy finally falls off Momo's tail. Landing on the ground, he notices people leaving the city and wanders off further towards the open gates. Um, so yeah, the, the ma I mean, many, many a shenanigan here. First, uh, I, I guess the governor's watching the, all the, you know, this, parade of the sick quote-unquote mm. people leave the city uh i mean I, i'm not much of a colonialist or an emperor but uh <laughs> don't you Shocker. need the people to subjugate i mean don't you uh i mean like if, if you're going to capture them and just let them all go uh what, what does that do for you there, there certainly should have been a i don't know a different approach i, I wonder what else yeah quarantine yeah, no, I was going to say, uh, John, if only there was a pandemic for us to maybe rethink our priorities. Oh, if only, <laughs> if only, maybe someday. <laughs> there was actually, there's a, I think it's mainly used as a gag, but when multiple people, first it's a Fire Nation guard who comes to the yeah. Team Avatar as their uh, breaking curfew, uh, and they go, Pentapox, I think I've heard of Pentapox. Didn't your yeah. cousin Chang die of Pentapox? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, um, and then later on, the governor... Um, says i think i've heard of that and it's totally made up but yeah. it, i don't know if you saw this video it's like jimmy kimmel sending out someone in the street to um ask people oh did you hear about this musical act who won this grammy and it's all made up and then yeah. these people yeah. go oh yeah i've been meaning to check them out i've been meaning to check out that album and stuff and but they're just totally going along with it um and mainly that's maybe because they're like put on the spot and they don't want to look like an idiot so they're going oh that must be real but i do think it goes to show how malleable your memory is mm. in the in the interest of maybe um avoiding a plague 
and it's used like very it's used comedically here but i think it's really i really like it as an example of just how malleable the human mind is mm-hmm. um malleable indeed uh you can get so distracted by you miss your infant son walk out the room I mean, <laughs> that was hysterical um I, I like that it was kind of a you know this whole sequence of momo eating food leading to the kid escaping the city it was like some uh like a rube goldberg of inevitable uh <laughs> steps and incidents that would uh just there was no choice but for uh momo to kidnap uh tom tom <laughs> <laughs> i like the double names momo and yeah Tom-tom. yeah he yeah. was uh he's just trying to munch man mm-hmm. all momo's trying to do is just snack out yeah and this baby is just harsh in his vibes yeah uh somewhere in the middle of this we see Flopsy in chains. No, Boomy, don't you? How is this part of your strategy? Aang uh, luckily rescues him. <laughs> They're using him to work a mill. Like, like it's some, uh, mm. you know, like 14th century thing and they have all this technology and, and firepower. It just felt a yeah. little... Yeah. You know, it was a good way it's more to... Like just, more like just salting the wound than actually yeah. serving a function. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I can't believe it was an accident that... Uh, the kid gets kidnapped with all these uh, people around. Anyway, yeah. Uh, at the circus, whoa! The ringmaster Shuzumu addresses his audience, declaring that the presence of the Fire Lord's daughter is an honor. After taking a seat beside her, he asks her to inform him of any way in which he can make the show more to her liking. She accepts his offer with a smirk. Soon after, Tai Lee performs a feat of balance on the high wire. Azula asks the ringmaster if he believes she will fall. He confidently replies, of course not. Azula decides it would be more interesting if Tai Lee did it without the safety net. When the ringmaster tries to object, Azula relents for a moment before deciding to have the net set on fire. He concedes and sets it ablaze. Azula subsequently orders the ringmaster to release all of his dangerous animals inside the tent. Again, the ringmaster fearfully complies. Uh... We never actually saw the crazy animals in the tent. Mm, we uh, just heard them. Yeah. Very, very which good is stuff. Which is even scarier because it leaves you up to your imagination. Yeah. That's a great dramatic tool anytime. Absolutely. Anytime. Absolutely. Um, I think we kind of mentioned already the Tai Lee Azula. That was my fault. I apologize. No, it's perfectly <laughs> no, fine. It's fine. Uh, but just uh, the reverence of, uh, from the ringmaster to Azula. Like, like, yeah. It, it's not uh, obviously it's not the same as Zuko who was banished, but uh, I don't I don't know that we've seen it. Uh, like, did we see it this much with Zhao? Like, it, it's it's just a certain uh, level of you know I bow before the royalty, which you know makes sense in any monarchy. <laughs> what it reminds me of is sort of um, I'm not sure if you guys also watched Game of Thrones. I make a lot of references to other things, but it reminds there. me of people who were afraid of King Joffrey, mm-hmm. someone who likes to up the ante, likes to add spikes or what it's just really malicious but you know that if you displease them that you might be i mean i don't think azula would be do something quite as body horror as something as king joffrey would but some but maybe get banished maybe uh you don't want to end up on her shit list basically no. and you want yeah. to appease her as best as you can it's very that sort of someone who has too much power and too little empathy is just a, a very great combination it's it's funny that the, the joffrey thing is true but it, but what's what's even scarier with azula is there's there's the fear 
and then there's a an, an odd respect, and obviously it's really highlighted way down the road this season with in, in Bossing Say, but there's you know she kind of has this aura about her that just commands respect from everyone who mm. sees her, and it also instills fear. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny because we haven't seen her directly do anything herself to anyone. We know what she's capable of, but we haven't seen you know her actions yet. Why wouldn't the resistance kidnap the baby? They have no clues. Yeah. They are such a likely suspect, and they have just left the city by coincidence. Uh, it's just a perfectly uh, developed plot. There's nothing more than there really the story is. moving along flawlessly here. Yeah, the 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 governor. You know, you could tell he's probably you know he's already concerned about this this uh, potential pandemic, and now his son's missing. I mean, you have the resistance just fleeing the city, like you're saying, you know, there's no subjects to rule. Um, so it does make sense to him that it's all just connected in some crazy conspiracy. Yeah. Uh, it does remind me I, a little of the Exodus story. <laughs> the uh, mm. let, let him go. It's like, wait, I regret it. Come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the taking of the firstborn son. Hmm. Okay. Mm. Uh, that works. They're uh, Jewish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that works. <laughs> it works. Um, but yeah, great, great stuff there. Backstage at the circus, Azula congratulates her friend on the show, wondering aloud how she will supersede the act the next day. Ty Lee tells her that there won't be one. She's leaving the circus, stating that the universe is giving her strong hints that she should go with Azula. So uh, it, it, not only do you have to go with Azula, but you have to make her feel like you want to go. It's this... Mm. Uh, added uh, entitlement uh, because of the uh, royal family upbringing and her personality. Very good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Elsewhere, yeah. Uh, you know, with the gang outside the city, Katara plays with Tom Tom. Young offers the opinion that the child will grow up to be a Fire Nation killer. At that moment, a messenger hawk arrives from the city, telling them that the governor is willing to trade King Boomy for his son. They decide to accept the offer, and the next day, Aang, Katara, and Sokka take the child to the city on Appa. Sokka believes they are walking into a trap, but Aang says he's got a good feeling about this. Uh, why, Aang? There- <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't matter because the way that people react to her, you know, subtle threats kind of tells us everything we need to know. It's a lot like um, in The Dark Knight, the way people would react to the Joker, just knowing oh my God, this guy could be capable of some terrifying things, even if we don't actually see what they are most of the time. Yeah. So, so true. Uh, After safely escaping the city, the resistance leader, Young, informs the gang that they have one more person than they should, TomTom, the infant. Back in Omashu, the governor and his family have become aware that TomTom is missing, believing the resistance has kidnapped him. The governor ponders on how to get him back. Right, we can stop there just for a brief moment. Um, yeah, I mean, there is a running theme, another one that I noticed, which is the um, the difference between optimism and realism. Mm-hmm. I think a little with how you interpret people, and Tom Tom is a great example because Aang and Team Avatar in general, I think, see Tom Tom as an innocent little toddler who ha- doesn't hasn't done anything to hurt anyone. Doesn't and but this resistance soldier is saying, yeah, he's going to grow up and get indoctrinated into fire nation ideology and want to kill you and me. And it goes back to earlier in the episode when the 
that noble family was about to be killed by the resistance. Mm. Um, not because of any personal malice towards them, but just they're fire nation and they need mm -hmm. to be gotten rid of. And they, I think the resistance sees things in a greater scope or at least just a wider scope of which ends up grouping people together by basically painting them with one color, you know, red for the fire and, and like, whereas Aang in particular sees people much more as individuals mm. and sees and sees the individual value in all, basically in all things and people and yeah, do you guys want to like talk about that a little bit? Yeah, just like that, it's because yeah, it's yeah. a running theme, I think, about like a contrast that Aang has with it, so many people that he comes in contact with. Yes, Aang is very is totally the optimist. Uh, we get the realist of Sokka here. I mean, l luckily there there is a Sokka on Team Avatar that it's like, yeah. hey, we're walking into a trap. I mean, again, the only reason Aang wants to go back to the city is to trade for Boomy. But mm -hmm. uh, it would, and going back to the very beginning of the episode, more than a master, he wants a friend. He just wants to be a child. He, he never got his youth. That, that is like his main yeah. uh, emotional hole that he needs to repair. So uh, whether it's holding on to, you know, a little cockeyed optimism of a kid or, uh, you know, reaching out to an old friend. And again, I would, I get it. Okay. The, you, you fell asleep for a hundred years and, uh, the whole world went to crap, you know, uh, pretty quickly. So uh, right. I, I would cling to it too. But uh, yeah, you have to balance it with the realism. You, you need to be a master. Uh, Sosa's comic is coming. Whether or not you make friends along the way, you need to start training and start training fast. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I think that Aang is, is, you know, obviously he's the balance between good and bad and all things. Um, so he's always going to try to see the other side and, and certainly the positive side being a monk um, and try to see the good in all things and all people. But you also can tell that he's scared and, you know, finding this news out from Broku, he's kind of mentioned it to Sokka and Katara, but they can't comprehend the, you know, the weight of that. You know, he wants to confide in Boomy. you know, a lot of crazy shit has happened language, um, since he saw him last. And he needs, I think, that advice. And even if he's not going to be his earthbending master, at least give him some some guidance going forward, knowing all this stuff. And I think that you can see he's really reaching out and trying to connect with him. Yeah. Without doubt. Uh, Absolutely. Without a doubt. Uh, Azula on her throne and Tai Lee approach May. May jokingly asks if Azula has come to kill her. The two embrace. Okay, more of that joke in a minute. When, when, <laughs> when told of Azula's mission, May accepts immediately, thrilled to help Azula and looking for anything to get her out of Omashu. Azula confronts the governor, tells him he has direly mishandled the situation. She then tells him that there is no more Omashu. She renames the city New Ozai in honor of her father and places May in charge of handling the trade, excluding the governor completely. Okay, wow. Way to steal the power there. Um, yeah. But just real quick, the intro of uh, Azula and Tylee to May. Um, we, we get so much in this uh, May joking, oh, are you here to kill me? <laughs> First off, the bleakness of May, that, that, that would be a dark joke that comes out of her. But also reinforcing this, uh, you know, Azula could come kill you at any point. Like, like, like she is both uh, revered and feared. She yeah. is, uh, half kidding when she said that no I mean like <laughs> yeah. let's say Ty Lee said nah I'm good I want to stay in the circus my aura I like this pink aura uh, 
you're gonna make it all black and dark um uh-huh. no uh she she might have killed her that that would not have been a surprise yeah yeah, yeah. Or at least just prodding her until she gets Tylee on her side, in which point she would be able to exploit Tylee for mm. her extraordinary mm. abilities. And then how about yeah. taking the power from the governor uh, just just by saying you've mishandled the situation? I, I, I mean... I think uh, we also forget how old the all these characters are. Azula right. is 14. Teenager, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> like, and the governor is an adult. Yeah. Like... Uh, he has at least two children. <laughs> yeah. One of which is a teenager, one of which is an infant. There's a, a significant yeah. gap there. Let's, let's explore this gap. Do you think there was a... <laughs> I mean, of course you need a baby because Momo can't pick up a grown child. But uh, yeah. other than that... Uh, Maybe he remarried. Yeah, right. That, that was my thought. It's just the second stops. <laughs> it does some of May's bleakness come from having a... It doesn't uh, seem like it's a stepmom relationship. It doesn't though. feel like that. It feels like it didn't feel like, because I would imagine like there would be some awkwardness, maybe a stepmom trying to get closer to their to May, uh, but not being able to, trying to forge a connection. But it seems like uh, the mother is very comfortable um, and is very used to May's character. It seems, it seems like it, it's biological mom and dad. Um, they may have just had a second kid later on, probably yeah. unplanned. Bro. Right, that, that's, let's go with the unplanned theory. I like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, I also thought they were 16, but 14 does make more sense. But yeah. Well, yeah, no, Zuko is 16. Zuko is 16, and I think that Azula and probably May and Tylee, since they went to school together, probably all 14. Wait, I thought Azula was older. I'm pretty sure Azula was older than Zuko. Because no, when no, they no, no, show no. the flashback, it's isn't Zuko the younger one? No, 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 no. Zuko is older by two years. Zuko is 16, Azula is 14. Really? Gotta yes. Flashback. Someone had a growth. Spread. I got it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I know, oh. yeah. Gotta watch that a little closer. Yeah. Um, um, okay. I also well, just love May. I, I think they tried to, you know, I, I think when people watched this series and saw May and they were like, man, if they do this in live action, I really hope they cast Aubrey Plaza. Um, yes. You know, kind of yeah. thing. Because oh, yeah. just, just the way that she is. And they kind of tried to recreate that with the character voiced by Aubrey Plaza in The Legend of Korra. But there really is no duplicating the awesomeness and originality of May. I mean, she's really just a fun, cool character. Oh, totally. Um, And very different for this. By the way, I did just uh, look it up. And I, indeed, Azula is 14 and Zuko is 16. I just looked it up. Wow. Nice. That's wild. So he was getting bullied by his younger sister as a kid. That's even yeah. Just well, not just any younger it. sister. It's Azula. Yeah, is, yeah. What, what, once you're banished, younger. whatever older brother power you had goes out yeah. the window. You're, you're well, not even a citizen. Like, he acts, and, and everything lends its lends you to believe that he's the younger sibling. Just the way the dynamic works. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy how. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's. Yeah. I can't believe I, I didn't know that. I have a cousin who has two daughters and the younger one bullies the older one. Yeah. And they're virtually the same size. The younger one is huge. <laughs> and he even tells the older one, hey, you can hit back. You are older. You exert your power a little bit. She's like, no, yeah. I don't want. She's just a kind person wow. just in her heart. And she just, yeah. So this happens. It happens. Sure. Yeah, totally. It's just, uh, that's wild. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, free, freaking wild talking about that. Uh, Azula renames Omashu. No more Omashu. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. You lost your baby and made a mediocre trade. I take your city. Okay, uh-huh. that is her response. Uh, yeah. 
renaming it New Ozai, of course, for her father. Uh, and just kicking him out of all, like, like, really, it's just some bratty teenager. Maybe not so bratty, just imagine like a bratty teenager just walking into a city and, right, I'm the mayor now. Like, like get out of here. <laughs> I didn't um, think nothing now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I like that No More Omashu, the last episode came of Lovers, we find out, oh my, mm. true, the meaning yeah. of the city. So it's like, we just learned about this city and the name and the importance and how the shape I never of it made was that formed. connection. That's extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Just now, the importance of the name is so uh, instilled, and they take it away. It, it was especially uh, in 2020. You see, you know, cultures trying to be, you know, almost eliminated. Um, it's just so important, and uh, yeah, you see her doing it here. You know that there, there's so much significance to the name Omashu for that city, for the people of the Earth Kingdom, and getting rid of it is really robbing the earth nation of a lot of its identity they're not just seizing the city they're uh taking the culture as well it's it's not just the land now yeah you know it's it's i know this is getting really heavy and really dark but it's not very unlike you know slave traders taking people from their home and getting rid of their name and calling them something Mm -hmm. else and just robbing them of their identity it's exactly it's exactly the same phenomena it's the erasure of your identity Mm -hmm. yeah the erasure of identity, yeah. How about this fact that Azula thinks it's an unfair bargain? Uh, like, <laughs> I, I mean, listen, the uh, governor is coming from an emotional place. His infant son has been kidnapped. Is it the, I mean, she's not entirely wrong. Uh, like, like for, for so, from the governor's point of view, it's definitely not an unfair bargain. But mm. uh, as the leader of a people or a colony, uh, is he letting his emotions get the best of him? Perhaps she's right, yeah. It goes to show, I think, uh, Aang's naivety again, and that he very instinctively writes, says, you know, I think the governor really wants his son back, which is absolutely true, but what he doesn't anticipate is that he's not the one in charge. Right. And and sort of going it with sort of wide-eyed optimism, um, Again, like what you said, Sokka, we need Sokka on this team. He knows that it's a trap. He knows that there's something uh, funky. Yes. Now, they have no idea about Azula. Um, yes. So that's yeah. another thing. I feel like if she wasn't there, or had nothing to do with this, even with May, yes, he was being naive, but I think it still would have worked out. Hmm. Let's find out. In front of the Fire Lord Ozai statue, Aang, Katara, and Sokka approach Azula, Tylee, and May. They lower Boomy, trapped in midair in a metal coffin on the end of a long chain. Before the trade can commence, Azula comments on how trading a powerful, earthbending king for a two-year-old is not a fair exchange. May agrees and calls off the deal. Uh, They hoist Boomy upward, and Aang, angered by the double cross, jumps into the air after him as Azula attacks. As he opens his glider, the turban covering his head slips off and Azula immediately realizes that he is the Avatar. Without a second thought, she abandons the original plan and rushes for him. Aang jumps onto Boomy's coffin and starts trying to freeze the chain as Azula closes in. Okay. Uh, May agrees to call off the deal. What is, this is May's brother. At, at, like, at no point was the audience reminded there. Uh, she, she's totally fine with it. I, I, I don't think it's just this bleak facade. I, I, Maybe more support for the stepbrother argument? 
theory? Mm. No, I, I think that May's just... The unplanned change yeah. her life yeah. brought to a new town, uh, maybe not her first choice. She doesn't I, seem fond of much in the that's world. True. Right? That's true. Yeah. yeah. But I, it is something I, I wonder about in this scene. What was Azula's plan? That's something I, I really wonder about is... um. Is that okay? So they 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 do a bait and switch essentially, but I don't really know what the switch is. They have the bait of Boomy to get back Tom Tom, and then they decide, no, we're not going to give you Boomy at all. We don't think this is a fair trade. Um, but then, it, but then it's Aang who says, no, 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 I'm going to get Boomy, and then he flies up, and everything else ensues because they realize he's the Avatar. But they stand pretty still. They don't try mm-hmm. to grab Tom Tom away. They don't do anything. They're just pretty much standing there, and so. I was wondering, do you guys have any idea of what they would have done had Aang not flown up and revealed himself? I think eventually attacked or, or surrounded them and mm. encouraged them to surrender. Uh, but no, I don't have much of theory beyond I, that. I don't think, well, obviously they had no idea at the time that the Avatar was part of it. They just thought there were these two random, tea, you know, these, these two kids in water tribe gear who were working with the resistance and when you think about the fact that you have Azula, May, and Ty Lee, and they also know, you know, we haven't found out, but they know what Ty Lee's capable of as well. They're probably under the assumption that no matter who they face, as long as it's not, you know, a giant swarm, you know, numbers that would just completely destroy them, they can out-duel anyone that they come across. Mm. And they could do it from, you know, far away with, with her knives. And... They were probably, I think, intending the whole time to just take the kid, you know, take the brother and keep the king. So they probably just assumed it was going to be like, you know, they, especially when they see these three kids and no members of the resistance, they're like, oh, this is going to be a breeze. Mm. If they don't, you know, if mm. they don't agree to this, we'll just take whatever we want and deal with them as we deal with them. And the big surprise being, oh, that's the Avatar. And they have no idea how good Katara and Sokka are either. So that's true. Yeah. Which, by the way, given what happened to the Fire Nation Navy at the Northern Water Tribe, um, obviously everybody should have known. You know, there were many who fled and went back and, and reported on it. Everybody knows now that the Avatar is with these two Water Tribe members, and they are really, really good at fighting and that they're all like people should know you know oh these three people are you know these two are traveling with the avatar if you see them look out for the avatar it just seemed a little weird Mm -hmm. that until his turban came off nobody said anything i don't know yeah and it's also because they they have a better system of looking out for iroh and zuko Mm -hmm. because they show like the um i believe it's just earlier on where they um they show like the little poster saying, if you see these people, um, so they have a better system of identifying exactly who they're looking for with Irons than they do with with, um, with Aang and (laughs) Sokka. They're new to the chase, to the Avatar chase. Uh, Yeah. 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 Fighting is about to ensue. On the platform, Katara prepares to defend herself from Tai Lee and Mei while Sokka calls Appa. Tai Lee rushes off for Sokka after blocking an attack from Mei. Katara gives Sokka some cover so he can move Tom Tom to safety. Nearly to the top of the statue, Aang has almost completely frozen the chain, but Boomy tells him to stop. 
Before he can react, Azula emerges from the top and shoots a blast of fire at them, breaking the chain and sending them plummeting towards the mail system. She continues her pursuit by jumping into a cart and riding after them. Aang happily tells Boomy that it's just like old times. But Boomy says he needs to talk to him. All right, guys. So uh, you, you just knew that once Aang and Boomy got together, they were going to find a way to slide down these uh, male shoots. Like yeah. Yeah. There was no way that we were ending this episode without this. Uh, I did no. not know that Boomy would be the slide or, or the, the vehicle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a nice little twist. Well, did you want... Oh, yeah, that's true. I don't know if you wanted to just... Because there's a little bit more of this fight. Yeah, go right ahead. On the platform, Katara and May exchange blows from behind. Ty Lee strikes Katara in three different pressure points, rendering her unable to bend. With no way of blo- her blocking any attack, May pulls out a three-pronged knife, taunting Katara's defenselessness. But Sokka arrives on Appa's back and knocks her weapon away with his boomerang. Appa smacks his tail to the ground, knocking Ty Lee and May off the platform. Katara and Sokka find Aang being chased by Azula. Once close enough to Appa, Aang shoots himself and Boomy off the track, but overshoots and lands back on the track with Azula. She continues blasting at Aang, but Boomy, still trapped inside his coffin, earthbends a barrier in the track by using his uncovered face. Azula barely avoids the obstacle and is forced to come to a stop. Okay. Uh, how about this okay. fact that you can uh, block bending, that you can... That this is a, a new defense mechanism in the... Oh, yeah. In the canon of Avatar here, yeah. Chi blocking. Uh, chi blocking. I mean, that's we, we so much is talked about harnessing the energy, but not enough about the uh, blocking of it. I thought that was. It's amazing. something I love that it's. It makes. Um, I believe it makes like bending much less of a magical or spiritual thing, but really mm. a physical thing yeah. that is chemical, and that this energy chi is something that is a physical thing that you can block and you can. Or increase it. And yeah, it's. I, I just love it as an addition. I think it also just makes great plot against like net benders versus non benders. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's funny you say. I always thought of it as almost like a combination of it too, where it was a spiritual energy, but in a as a physical manifestation. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I think you're right. And, yeah, and it's just that great connection there because it. If that isn't a definition of the combination of the of the real and spirit worlds, I don't know what is. I mean, yeah. that's just mm. it's a wonderful symbol for the show, um, and it's such a cool new. You know, like each time we're like, oh man, this show is so cool. I didn't like. How do they think of that? They come up with some awesome new original, like fighting style. Well, it it's also a good example to about how the writers really used elements of um, of life, specifically from different countries in asia different martial arts and that all of the different bending styles are based on different kinds of martial arts you have bagua you have tai chi you have different kinds of kung fu and then this i forget the name of it but i do believe that chi blocking is based on a um on a martial art focused on hitting pressure points in the body rendering you temporarily uh, limp or useless and so it's just it's an example of not necessarily how imaginative the writers are but of how interested and knowledgeable they are about the wellspring that is human history and the diaspora of what people do and and have done 
how detailed they were in in developing the story and yeah. in writing it as well. Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, and, and just amazing yeah. stuff. Finding uh, out ways to use as many sources of inspiration as possible, and yeah, they mm. really. So we during this chase down the shoots with Azula uh, and then Ang and Boomy, we find Boomy has been able to earthbend this whole time. Yep. Yeah, Whoa, guys. Well, guys. I mean, we we're entitled to an explanation, and we will get an explanation. But uh, just like makes you really, really uh, think of these uh, the uh, resistance here. Just, I mean, if they found out, they might, well, they didn't find out. So <laughs> <laughs> that's well, it's that's true yeah. though. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. He can earth bend the whole time. Uh, moving on. Yeah. At the bottom of the tracks, Aang expresses his surprise that Boomy is still able to earthbend, to which the old man replies that they didn't cover his face. <laughs> oh, so yeah, I didn't know it was uh, a covering that covered. I mean, okay. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously they, they didn't uh, Han Solo him. He, had, uh, he was <laughs> yeah. able to move his face muscles. Okay. Aang expresses his uh, surprise and angrily asks why he didn't defend himself and why he surrendered Amashu when they were being invaded. Boomy begins to explain to Aang the concept of Jing. Though Aang states brusquely that he is already aware of it, fighting is positive Jing and retreating is negative Jing. However, Boomy notes a third form of Jing, neutral Jing, which consists of doing neither and waiting for the opportune moment to strike, which is why he surrendered the city and must go back to his captors. Before leaving, he tells Aang he must learn from a master who has mastered neutral Jing, someone who waits and listens before striking, and that he will see him again when the time is right. He then topples himself over and begins pushing himself up the chute with earth bending, laughing as he goes. Okay, Bluey. Uh, <laughs> so we get our, we finally get this explanation, but uh, I don't I don't know, guys. So, I, I think it's very much uh, the, the concept of Jing is amazing and it just adds another layer to the whole bending world and uh, the, the martial arts influence of it. Uh, but uh, neutral, is that, what, what about, uh, see, neutral Jing, he says, obviously, is uh, you wait for the opportune moment. And, and, and I get that as a concept, but what about uh, neutral Jing is the, uh, the key to earth bending. I, I, I don't know. I thought that was a different, uh, like, like why does his master need to be a neutral jinger, so to speak? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think what something that happens a number of times, a number of different ways throughout the show is the spectrum of spectrumification mm. of mm. stuff, because, you know, you learn about earth, air, fire, and water, but then you learn about over time this, um, about like, different forms that earth and what everything that all of this can take um and that you have lightning bending which is um you have di you have ways that these different elements can manifest themselves and that you don't just have positive and 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 negative jing of how to direct your energy that it's not just this binary but there's also neutral jing and then i remember ang goes there's three and he and then uh, boomy's like well technically there's 85 i think yeah. it's somewhere in the 80s yeah um it's just this idea of like, oh no, no, no there's so there's so many more um, ways that things could be expressed, basically, and that 
and that nothing is ever static. There's always another, there's another rung on the ladder, so mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something you learn about throughout the show is just more and more and more levels, divisions within a system or an art form or yourself and your emotions. Think about like chakras and stuff like there's so, that's way down low, but that, that is something that is a running theme is just like, there's always more detail than you, than you might initially see. There's more than meets mm -hmm. the eye. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there's something to be said for, you know, for Aang especially being a, an airbending monk, um, for his ability to be the best avatar he could be for each element, he has to have some sort of learning or experience with the most spiritual version of it. So for waterbending, um, he literally merged with the ocean spirit. Um, and went off and attacked the Fire Nation. For Earth, I think the most spiritual version of Earthbending would be Neutral Jing, because you're, you're the most connected um, and, and the most balanced. And then for Firebending, we find out later on, it's the, the dance of the dragon. But for Aang especially, he, he does well with the, with the very spiritual segment of whatever bending it is. Uh, whether Aang realizes or not, he is actually, he has already tapped into this neutral Jing. Because earlier in this episode, when he first encounters the Resistance, uh, the, the, the idea of uh, maybe retreating, escaping, waiting to fight another day, uh, is in itself an example of using neutral Jing. Well, it's negative Jing, isn't it? Mm. It's quite literally, well, he so says literally attacking retreat, or retreating. Right? He quite literally um, is saying employ negative Jing. Um, but, I, but you're absolutely right in that he, he pauses and thinks about it mm -hmm. in terms of how to best save people's lives, how to best direct your energy. He definitely pauses and thinks about it. But eventually his conclusion is, um, is retreating. And that's hmm. in terms of like Boomy, and we know that that this has happened at least a few weeks, this invasion into Omashu, probably months, but at least a few weeks. And so Bumi's been trapped for a while. He's been waiting and listening for a while. Whereas in this moment where Aang was talking with the resistance people is that Aang took a few moments and he was like, get, get out of Omashu. That's the way to best serve your people. It's, it's a much quicker amount of time in my sure. opinion. Yeah. Sure. Um, not to, actually on yeah. that note, um, no matter how much time it's been, the fact that they have as many new fire nation buildings in Omashu just littered throughout was pretty mm. impressive. Not to mention how much progress seems to have been made by this new Ozai statue. Um, it's kind of impressive to see how quickly the fire nation could come in and just develop. Yeah. In this uh, how long do you think it's been under fire nation occupation? My, uh, mm. I'm gonna say three months, and uh, that I, I, basically, uh, I, I don't know. Whenever the Sozin comet uh, was, Roku told Aang about it and said there were nine months till the uh, comet. Right. Calculate three months a season, so right. it's almost uh, to the episode. It might. It is to the episode. Uh, a I find that period. that's a massive uh, change. Yeah. I find that hilarious because I grew up here in New York City and I remember years would go by seeing the exact same scaffolding on one apartment building. <laughs> like, yeah. And it would seem almost to never get finished. So when I hear that, I'm just like, how? 
how do they do it? like of course they have like bending but still it, yeah no, well, right. they do it because they're forced to uh, you know they're basically slave labor it's kind of like the way egypt yeah. was built because exactly. what are these guys going to do say no to Ozai? yeah um so by the way uh, uh lucas have you seen the unaired pilot of avatar I saw bits of it. Okay. I did see bits of it. it, it it's, you know, it's out on the internet. Um, the scaffolding... With the horns on... Yeah. Yeah. On well, Zuko's, the scaffolding yeah. here uh, is very much uh, like the one that uh, where Aang and Azula fought in the unaired pilot. Like, like it actually... Mm. I feel like this scene was uh, just kind of... Didn't work in the new pilot, so they just kept it in the back pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the uh, original Aang-Azula fight. Oh, yeah. Definitely, Makes yeah. a lot of sense to me, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Uh, Right, we still got some episode left. Oh my god, uh, so much to talk about. This, the departing from the city, Azula rides in her palanquin with May and Ty Lee beside her. Ty Lee asks May if it'll be interesting seeing Zuko again. Hint, hint, yeah, yeah. And May harbors a smile, ignoring the comment. Azula tells them that in addition to Zuko and Iroh, they now have a third target to pursue the Avatar. Later that evening, as the governor and his wife stand on their porch, Aang, unseen by them, lands behind them with Tom Tom. Setting the child on the ground, he jumps to the roof as his parents turn around and joyously reunite with their son. Aang smiles, then turns away and disappears into the night. Bong, bong, bong. Nice little uh, (laughs) soft credit music. There Uh, is something, forgive there is something I wonder about is that I imagine... Because like, I imagine like uh, the Fire Nation people in Omashu, they saw, um, they didn't see Boomy do much. They saw him in his sort of, his cage essentially. Yeah. And I'm sure they were like running down Omashu, like down the slopes and they're like, oh, where'd he go? And then Boomy, we see him go up the slide back up. And I love the idea of him just waiting at the top going, I'm up here. Hello. <laughs> hey you know? guys. Yeah. And they would just be like, how did he get back up there? It's heavy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I always wonder, like, how did, how did Boomy keep, keep up that facade of being helpless, essentially? Mm-hmm. Um, like, how did he explain, oh, yeah, I got back up here. Uh, uh, it was wind. They just pushed me up. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's true. Uh, maybe, yeah. I mean, well, you got to think, are the sh- I guess all the shoots are one way, huh? Yeah. Um, it's just gravity right. doing the work. And they huh? use, well, no, yeah, the I remember. Earth bending, oh, no, the earth bending. Earth bending to yeah. get it up, gravity to get it down. You yeah. could say that, you know, they maybe enslaved, you know, some of the earthbenders in the mm. city oh, and yeah. just used, made them push him back up. I don't know. Maybe. maybe. Or, or they just said, I don't know, the Avatar was here. Probably magic. Who knows? That's yeah. true. That's, yeah. This, <laughs> but I digress. Uh, yeah. This encounter with Azula, May, and Ty Lee, um, when, you know, they bring up Zuko, uh, Iroh, uh, pursuing the Avatar. It's kind of their blueprint for the whole season. Like, like, She's formed the gang, and now the gang has their mission. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just a very clear-cut thing. And then, okay, you see the governor and the governess uh, rejoice to be returned, uh, reunited with TomTom, but uh, are they even aware that their other child, May, is running off? Who knows if or when she'll come back. Uh, that, that, that she actually could have gotten the son, her brother, back, but... Uh, no, they're, they're, there's not enough room in the Avatar verse for the governor's uh, side story. He's no. Uh, I do yeah. wonder, you're right, what do they think happened? Because as far as they know, Azula and May and Ty Lee went off to do the job and get the sun back. And, and all they know is there was a lot of like noise. <laughs> and presumably nobody came back and nothing happened. So 
And also, May doesn't know that Tom Tom was returned at all. She really just doesn't know any or care at all about Tom Tom's right. whereabouts. Yeah, because yeah. by the time she left, um, by the time they were gone, they had Tom Tom hadn't been returned. So yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> that's insane. Tom uh, <laughs> Tom wasn't trained. I mean, maybe May just assumed that the Avatar would do the right thing, and yeah, that's right. a probably assumption. they're they're good people. Yeah. Um, and the parents have to realize, you know, once Azula has brought on May, um, if she doesn't come back, it just means that Azula needs her for something else and she's doing Azula's thing and they're not going to yeah. question it or wonder it. Yeah. Um, and that wraps up another episode of The Boys in the Iceberg! Hey. Yes! Oh my god. Um, so much to talk about. I mean, really, dude, what a lean just every bit of dialogue or every, there was no uh, fat to trim out of this one. So uh, absolutely great one. Um, yeah. All right. Closing thoughts here. I uh, just, the, the sense of how impregnable and uh, how, you know, it was untouchable to Omashu uh, and just like immediately you're brought into the world. And, like you, you forget that that is thrown out the window and it's just boom, 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 Ca- new character, new character. Uh, just an unbelievable episode, top to bottom. Yeah. This this yeah. is our our you know team avatar's first introduction to Azula, mm-hmm. um, and this new squad they're running with, and the concept of lightning bending, blue fire bending, chi bending, all of it. Mm-hmm. You know they realize that this is going to be a lot. You know it, it's one thing when you have Zuko and Iroh after you. It's another one you have this like calculating, terrifying, really powerful um, trio on your heels that are very sneaky. Um, and I wonder how it might change their, their thought process. And, and now, you know, at least Aang has some semblance of guidance in terms of what to expect for his earthbending teacher from it sucks, it can't be boomy. But it, it definitely, we're, we're now propelled. We know exactly on, on all ends. Mm-hmm. You know, we've already established Iroh and Zuko are kind of on the run. As refugees, um, Azula has her team now after Zuko, Iroh, and the and Team Avatar. And Team Avatar's off to get this earthbending teacher. Yeah. And uh, a neutral dream master. Yes. What yeah. I what I love about uh, this episode is that we're introduced to us to so many new characters, and we all get to empathize with them at least a little bit. Yeah. yeah. It's and amazing. that is where that I think is at the core of great plot or conflict is where you really understand a little validity on all sides. Mm-hmm. The show, oh, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Just, I mean, I grew up with this show. This uh, was this was extraordinary. I was uh, a yeah. like, I don't know college student, college. <laughs> but just having a good time with it. Uh, <laughs> I think I was nine when this show started. Yeah, right. Wow. Uh, Lucky, unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. What, what uh, well, we had good TV too, and. Uh, you guys, yeah. I, I think that wraps up another episode of The Boys in the Iceberg. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable stuff. Great episode. Uh, Lucas, thanks for uh, joining us, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I had oh. so much fun. Pleasure. Yeah. Uh, let the people know where they could find you or follow you online. Yes. Uh, LucasTArnold.com. It's Lucas with a K. Uh, I'm at LucasTArnold on all social media. I've actually just started my own podcast mm. called Two Nosy Meerkats. And you can find us on all social media at Two Nosy Meerkats. Excellent. And we are doing our third episode this week coming out next week. Nice. Check that out. Um, 
And that wraps up another episode of The Boys in the Iceberg. Thank you for listening. Follow us on social media at The Boys in the Iceberg. And uh, tune and follow us on Spotify to make sure you get the latest details on releases. Yes. Thank you. And, yes. Oh, I was going to say, and at Boys Iceberg mm. on Twitter, I believe. So either mm. at Boys Iceberg or at Iceberg Boys. All but right. One of those two. One more time, thank you for listening and good night. Flamio Hotman. <laughs>